In the short lifespan of the seventh seed in the NFL playoffs, seven seeds are winless against the two. But this Green Bay Packers team is not like every other seven seed that has played in this wild card round. By DVOA, the Green Bay Packers are the fourth best team in the NFC. And this is not playing the Green Bay Packers from week 11 on shenanigans that have the Green Bay Packers as the second best offense in the league. This is over the course of the season. The Packers are the fourth best team in the NFC. Better than the Philadelphia Eagles on both offense and defense, who looked for a long time like they were going to be the number one seed. So in a game that looks like it's going to be all about the offense, you have the passing touchdowns leader against the passing touchdowns runner-up in Dak Prescott and Jordan Love. This game felt high scoring coming in. Seems like Vegas agrees. Can Jordan Love show up and deliver a playoff victory at AT&T Stadium? That is what we're going to talk about today here on this episode of the Scotty Six Pack Podcast. I am your host, Kedrick Stumbrus. You can follow me on the website formerly known as Twitter at Kedrick Stumbrus and follow the podcast at Scotty Six Pack. Let's get the latest updates in Wisconsin sports. We're recording this on Saturday afternoon, shortly after the Wisconsin Badgers have defeated Northwestern at the Kohl Center. Wisconsin now 5-0 and in the Big Ten. Last time Wisconsin did that, the Badgers won the Big Ten. Um, but we need to break down this playoff matchup because this is a big game, and it is ripe with storylines. We're going to talk about the storylines, but first we're going to break down this playoff matchup. And like we said at the top, this is a lot about Jordan Love. This is a lot about what he can do to cap off what has been a season that looks like he has already defined as the season where he becomes the Green Bay Packers franchise quarterback. But what else can he add onto that? Well, he can lean offense against this Cowboys defense that features Aaron Jones, first of all. And I think a huge question in this game is just, can Aaron Jones be the difference? Aaron Jones has been in and out of the lineup all season, but he has been phenomenal since returning to the lineup full-time. He obviously had that game where he ramped up against Tampa Bay that unfortunately the Packers lost at Lambeau. But in the three games since, the last three games the Packers have played, Aaron Jones has over 110 yards rushing in each of those games and is over 130 combined rushing and receiving yards. Aaron Jones has had the second highest rushing success rate of any player in the league, the highest among all running backs. The only player with the higher rushing success rate is Josh Allen. So not only has Aaron Jones been great as of late, but when Aaron Jones has been playing throughout the season, he's playing like he's the best running back in the NFL. And if he's going to get work, you know, we said that he has over 130 combined all-purpose yards rushing and receiving. But if Aaron Jones is going to get work done, it's going to be on the ground where he is playing like the best running back in the National Football League. Because the Cowboys allow the third fewest receptions by running backs in the league and the third fewest receiving yards by running backs in the league. Frankly, you know, I I, I think the Cowboys have a little bit of a mushy run, de- run defense overall, and Aaron Jones might be able to eat that up. He's He's a different, unique talent. You know, if the Packers are going to be able to run the ball, though, it looks like it's going to have to be through Aaron Jones because A.J. Dillon 
who has had, you know, injured thumb situation, jammed, jammed that finger. He is doubtful for the game uh, this Sunday against the Cowboys. And Aaron Jones was the only player against Chicago to get a carry. So even though Patrick Taylor is in the lineup, Patrick Taylor has been a, a staple, you know, third running back uh, for third or fourth running back, uh, frankly, for the Green Bay Packers, having a lot of time spent on the practice squad, getting that call up now and then, even though he has that, Green Bay doesn't seem to go to him all that often. Um, so I don't totally get why, but if the Packers are going to be able to run the ball, it is going to be through Aaron Jones. And that is a matchup that I think the Packers like, or at least want to explore because the run defense is where I have, I think the most questions about this good, like this quite good Cowboys defense. And I'm not saying I have questions about the defense as in they are questionable, like question, like might actually be bad. I'm just actually not sure whether or not they are entirely good or not. There is some signal in the numbers to the Cowboys not having a great rush defense, but so many of the Cowboys wins are in blowouts that I don't necessarily know situationally what to believe based on what the Cowboys are willing to allow on defense in these situations where they are already winning big and are willing to let teams, you know, get chunk yards, three, four yards on the ground, dink and dunk through the running game on the field, let the clock keep running. The flip side of the Packers offense is the Packers passing offense. And this young Packers passing offense, of course, as we've said many times, the youngest receiving core in the history of the National Football League, younger than the own 16 Cleveland Browns. And the difficult part that, you know, first-year starter Jordan Love is going to have to deal with, with these young pass catchers, is the pass defense is the, is like I said, I have questions. I, I don't fully understand the quality of the Cowboys' rush defense. But I do understand that this is absolutely the best part of it, Dallas defense is defending the pass. And just from a skill perspective, you could break it down even further. The safeties and linebackers don't necessarily scare you uh, on the Cowboys defense. But what does scare you is that trio of corners, Stefan Gilmore, uh, Darren Bland, who is hoping to pick off a ball and run it back every single time he gets it. He gets a ball thrown his way. And of course, Jordan Lewis, the third corner there. And you have an excellent Dallas pass rush led by Micah Parsons, who is the best of the best. Uh, I mean, the best of the best is technically in Hutchinson, but Mike Parsons, phenomenal pass rush talent. And the only answer I have really for him is just hold him every play. You, you have young starting tackles on both sides of your line for Green Bay. And for whatever reason, uh, Micah Persons has not drawn a holding penalty since mid-October. If you are a national NFL fan, you, you follow the sport in its entirety, or you're, you're a Cowboys fan, or you follow the Cowboys closely secondarily, you, you've probably seen this talking point around where Micah Persons, for as great as he is, isn't drawing holding calls for whatever reason. And if you're into conspiracies, <laughs> the Cowboys have complained to the National Football League at uh, the NFL offices about this. Um, so maybe the officials are going to put, you know, an emphasis on getting eyes on Micah Parsons more often. Their eyes will just dart there a little more often without necessarily actively thinking about it. But 
Micah Parsons is a huge test because he just generates pressures when he gets in the backfield. You know, he, he's, he's huge. You're going to speed up the quarterback. And fortunately, Jordan Love has been really great under pressure this season. But if you want to minimize the amount of times Jordan Love is going to have to spend under pressure because for, you know, we've talked about in this show before, pressures are more predictive of future sacks than previous sacks are predictive of future sacks. And this Packers offensive line has prevented more sacks relative to the amount of pressures that have been generated by opposing defensive line. So the Packers rate better in number of sacks allowed than they do in pressure rate allowed. So there is some noise there to the Packers maybe being fortunate and not having allowed more sacks. So if they're going to stop Micah Parsons, you really have to let these young tackles in Zach Tom, who is, who's good and Rashid Walker, who of course I gushed about earlier this week on the show. They're going to have a great test against one of the best in the league and they're going to need to shut it down. Um, when you're not looking at just the offensive line, defensive line, looking at the receivers, Christian Watson is questionable in this game. But I'm not sure if this matters. You have just this Packers receiving core. Again, youngest in the National Football League in history, younger than the 0-16 Cleveland Browns. Still, Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, been phenomenal talents. Dontavian Wicks, a fifth-round pick, blossoming into, I mean, what looks like a number one wide receiver. Bo Melton, who's on the practice squad a couple of weeks ago, spent up until this point, has spent his career bouncing around on NFL practice squads. He has 211 receiving yards over the past three weeks. I don't know that you necessarily need Christian Watson in this game. If you're the Green Bay Packers, you want him. Heck, he scored three touchdowns last season against uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. Did a backflip in the end zone after that last touchdown. You want him in this game because he he presents a, a dynamic threat to stretch the field that you don't necessarily have out of other wide receivers, maybe Jaden Reed a little bit, but having Christian Watson out there is just another thing for the Cowboys defense to have to worry about. But I'm not sure if it's the biggest deal. Um, what is maybe a bigger deal is that Luke Musgrave is a full go in this game. Obviously, had spent a little bit of time ramping up, got a little bit of action against the Chicago Bears last week, but now full go. Doesn't have any injury designation whatsoever. And I think Luke Musgrave being healthy for this is huge because Jordan Love has been so good passing over the middle of the season. And of course, you add in the emergence of Tucker Craft, and you have two Packers tight ends who have been phenomenal this season. Um, and that just adds you know, an, another weapon. You, no matter who's on the field, you have to worry about their ability to be a receiver. There, there are so many times, uh, if you think back to uh, Jonathan Taylor's career in Wisconsin. He was always out on third and long because he wasn't going to be able to pass block, pass block. It's kind of the same thing here where if you have multiple tight ends or you think back to, <laughs> in this game, Jake Ferguson. If Jake Ferguson's coming out of the game. You have another inline tight end. You know, Jake Ferguson can block, but he's out there more for passing downs. Well, you know, if Jake Ferguson's coming out, they're probably not passing another tight end on that Wisconsin roster, the ball. In this case, you have two tight ends who can catch the ball two tight ends who can block relatively well. Obviously, Tucker Tucker Craft is a better blocker than Luke Musgrave is, but if you have two receiving threats, that's really great at that position over, over the middle of the field where you, you, could, you could get a lot and you have to try because 
although the Cowboys are allowing the second fewest receptions and third fewest receiving yards to tight ends in the league this season, you have to try. If you're if you're Jordan Love and, and Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers, you have to try to throw the ball over the middle of the field because you have to minimize the opportunities for these aggressive cor- cornerbacks like Stephon Gilmore, like Bland, like Jordan Lewis. You have to minimize the opportunities for these aggressive corners to go out and jump out and make a game-changing play. So where does this Green Bay offense want to complete passes? It's over the middle and then deep shots. I Like I said, the most scary part of this offense are the corners and the defensive line. I'm not afraid of these Cowboys safeties. I'm not. If you get Jaden Reed moving on one of these jet motion plays, get him moving before the snap, run him out, and he starts going deep. And if you can hold off Micah Parsons and the Cowboys D-line just long enough, just a couple of seconds, and get a couple of long developing plays to get deep, Packers can really change the game script in their, in their favor. But, you know, aside from the deep shots, I would rather see the Packers try to hold on to the ball and, and keep the Cowboys offense off the field. That's why I think this passing over the middle is going to be so important because the Cowboys offense is the unit I fear the most in this game. And overall, the Packers need to get some timely completions. Packers are fifth best offense in the league in third down conversion rate. And the Cowboys are very middle of the pack. You know, a, a really good offense at moving the sticks, get the middle of the road defense. You can get some timely completions get the game moving in your favor. And of course, last week on third down, Jordan Love was seven of eight, 76 yards, two touchdowns. So really good third down offense. It's a middling third down defense. But you're also playing a really good third down offense. And like I said, that's the unit I fear the most in this game. We're going to talk about that coming up in the second segment of the show, right after I talk to you about our friends over at TickPick. Uh, TickPick is where I get all of my tickets for all of the games that I would like to go to. And if you are going to a game, like if you are going to uh, this Green Bay Packers Dallas Cowboys game, if you're able to get on a flight out of uh, Wisconsin these days, you can get in, you can get those tickets on TickPick. I'm looking right now. You got to get in a price of $61 that has been falling throughout the week. A little bit interesting. Packers fans, of course, travel very well, but you know, maybe it's, it's harder to travel. I, uh, I myself am already in South Texas, have already been in South Texas. May or may not have a little bit to do with, you know, the flight I have to catch uh, in a couple of hours here, actually. But if you're going to a game, use TickPick, never pay service fees. TickPick does not believe in hidden fees. And if you find a better price elsewhere on your tickets, TickPick will refund you 110% of the difference in credit toward your next purchase. Plus, if you use my link, on the screen now, if you're watching on YouTube, in the YouTube description, in the podcast description, if you use that link, you're going to save 10 bucks on your first order. So download the TickPick app. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K. Go to the Google Play Store. Go to the Apple App Store. Download the TickPick app. Use my link. Save 10 bucks on your first order. Never pay hidden fees on tickets ever again. So the opposite side of the ball. You have Dallas Cowboys offense like I said, is the unit I fear the most in this game. And first is, you know, the rushing game. We talked about the Packers rushing game at the top. Let's talk about the Cowboys rushing game. And I think this is where the Cowboys can generate a a game script that might be less likely, but is one that I see as a winning game script for for Dallas if they're able to do it. You know, Tony Pollard, 
Dallas's number one running back, has been solid this season. He's a thousand yard rusher, has a 50% success rate, but he's, you know, barely averaging four, four yards carry. There might be noise in there in that four yards per carry number since the Cowboys have blown so many teams out, like we mentioned earlier. Eventually, teams know that Dallas is trying to run the clock out. And so trying to stop the run, you only allow four yards per carry, but that's that's enough to, to run the clock out. But it, based on that, based on that 50% success rate and Tony Pollard as a solid running back, is there a wacky game script where this game just isn't super high scoring? Although that's, you know, the game script that I expect, the game script that Vegas expects, where the Dallas defense clamps down on the Packers and Mike McCarthy play calling for the Cowboys just decides to grind it out on the ground against a below average Green Bay run defense. I think that's possible. I don't think that's what's going to happen because this Dallas Cowboys passing offense is just phenomenal. Um, When you're talking about being able to stop this Cowboys passing offense, can't talk about it without talking about a Jair Alexander injury, which if you follow the Packers, you might, be saying, how on earth did we get here again? Are you telling me his shoulder is hurt? No. Jair Alexander, who stepped on someone's foot during a jog-through, walk-through, whatever you want to call it, I think it was this past Tuesday, is officially questionable for this game because he tweaked his ankle. Just an all-time bad timing injury. Because you need this if you need Jair Alexander to win this game. And you need the Packers defense to make some adjustments to win this game because the Packers like to live in that cover two shell. And I think that's a recipe for disaster against this Cowboys, against this Cowboys offense. Cowboys are great at completing slants and passes over the middle. It's not a total deep shot offense. Joe Barry just wants to keep the ball in front of the defense. Doesn't want to get beat over the top. Wants to keep the ball in front of the defense, but Dallas is happy to do just that. And the Cowboys receivers are really solid after the catch. So if Joe Barry is allowing those passes to get completed in front of the defense, Cowboys receivers are among the best units in the league. I believe it's second best in the league in broken tackles per reception. And how many times have we as Packers fans watched this secondary unit or, or Packers secondary units generally just get beaten on not being able to tackle? You really want to deal with these wide receivers who are have already proven themselves excellent at breaking tackles and then watch the Packers get beaten because their defensive backs can't tackle plus a maybe, you know, not just foot, but maybe still not totally healthy shoulder banged up Jair Alexander who might not super want to be tackling might not be fun. If the Packers just decide to live in that too high shell and Dallas is happy dinking, dunking it down the field, physical wide receivers must leak their way down through the Packers secondary and that Packer secondary needs to let Jair Alexander follow C.D. Lamb. C.D. Lamb, number one wide receiver for the Cowboys, leads the league in receptions as Dak Prescott leads the league in completions. Last year, when the Cowboys played the Packers at Lambeau, C.D. Lamb had 11 catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. I know that the Packers won that game, but if C.D. Lamb has that same stat line this time around, Packers will not win this game because Dak Prescott threw two picks in that game. Maybe, maybe Dak Prescott throws two picks in this game and the Packers win. But a, a stat line like that for CD Lamb is a losing stat line for the Green Bay Packers. If Green Bay has to rely on another quarter to cover CD, 
it just might be over against what is a real quarterback in Dak Prescott, a quarterback who I personally think, you know, should be getting more MVP buzz, even though it seems that we've anointed uh, Lamar Jackson. Think, think back to a year or two ago when the Packers started the season by getting blown out by the Minnesota Vikings in whatever that was, week one, week two. Next time Packers played, after not letting Jair shadow Justin Jefferson, wide receiver one, really, really good wide receiver one. In the first matchup, not letting Jair shadow him. Second matchup, they went back. Jair followed Justin Jefferson way more often around the field. Packers come out with that win. Defense looked a heck of a lot better. Justin Jefferson left in clamps, and uh, Jair Alexander hits the gritty. Let the highest paid cornerback in NFL history you made Jair Alexander the highest paid cornerback in NFL history. Play him like he's the highest paid cornerback in NFL history. If he can't go, well, then I you take you take your losses. <laughs> um, because I I just think that's a really tough matchup for for the Allen Tines of the world um to try and and clamp down uh, on CD Lamb. That just might be a tough day for for the Packers. Um but if the balls just aren't going outside and down the field to the wide receivers or, you know, over the middle to the wide receivers, the Packers need to take lessons from playing Kansas City Chiefs. The Packers need to cover the tight end. Travis Kelsey, I had, you know, a, for, for him, maybe more modest four receptions for 81 yards in that game, no, no touchdowns, but a few of those receptions that Travis Kelsey had were just wide open throws to him. It, it was un, unbelievable how wide open Travis Kelsey was in that game. And I, of course, loved Jake Ferguson, who we talked about a little bit earlier, um, for an analogy on, on the Badgers, but he is a Dallas Cowboy now. And Packers need to figure out how to deal with him. And one of those options might be Preston Smith, who he's playing great right now. If that's the best option for the, the Packers to, to cover a, a aggressive Jake Ferguson in coverage, I'll live with that. But a tight end and a good tight end at that, not just C.D. Lamb, is why I'm afraid of the Packers leading into that too high shell that too often a really good tight end will be able to just eat up by you know, running through the seam down the middle or just catching a slant. Um, but then when we're not talking about in coverage, we, we go to this, this side of the trenches, the Packers' defensive line. I, I talked about after the Bears game how the Packers dominated on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And I don't think this is necessarily the best offensive line the Packers have played all season. I think the Cowboys offensive line is, it, it's good, but I think it can be beaten. And if you look at offensive line that, you know, many people think is one of the best in the NFL, the, in, in the Detroit Lions, in that second Lions game, the Packers produced 15 pressures, according to pro football reference. Like we said, Pressures are more predictive of future sacks than sacks. The Lions are coming back from back in that game, obviously having to pass the ball. So maybe those defensive stats are a little bit inflated, but the Packers also didn't need to bring that pressure. If, if the Lions were just trying to come back in this game, they were, could just drop back in coverage. Um, I overall like the Packers defensive line and pass rush options a lot. I like the guys out of the draft. They obviously have Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, who are very, very good on their own too. Sean Gary, Kenny Clark up the middle, Kingsley Anigbari, Lucas Van Ness, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, Devontae Wyatt. 
This is a defensive line and a pass rush unit that has a lot of different ways to come at the Cowboys offensive line. And when I have some reservations about saying that Cowboys offensive line is one of the great Cowboys offensive line units that we've seen over the number of years, I am made a little bit more optimistic about the Packers' chances, knowing that the Packers have so many ways, so many guys that can come at that Cowboys offensive line and try to get home to the quarterback. Because look, I, I think the rub of this game is that the Packers probably rely on that too high shell too often under Joe Barry and what Matt LaFleur also philosophically wants to play. We talked about the Packers being a really, really good offense on third down and the Cowboys being an average defense on third down and that being an advantage for the Packers. Well, when you look at the other side of the ball, the Cowboys have an even better offense on third down. Packers are the second or Packers are the fifth best offense in third down at converting. Cowboys are the second best. And the Packers defense ranks 25th in the league in getting off the field on third down. So the Packers third down offense is good. Cowboys third down defense is average. Cowboys third down offense is good. Packers third down defense is bad. Uh, third and Barry. What can, what can I say? It, it is borne out in the numbers. So like I said, this is not a traditional seven seed. I think the Packers can win this game. I, I feel like we've laid out a little bit of what, what they have to do to win this game. And those are things that I think the Packers can do, but Cowboys are the better team. They're a touchdown favorite. Everything on here is gravy. But if they were to win, vibes, vibes would be immaculate. And you know, you know I like some good vibes. Um, let's dig into what those vibes would be. Let's talk about the storylines. We've talked about the matchup. We've broken, broken down the nitty-gritty. Talking about two high safety coverages. Let's, let's talk about vibes. And I don't necessarily want to talk about the coaching vibes all that much. I don't, I don't, I think that Mike McCarthy, you know, is he going to get fired shenanigans is, is too much. This is a really, really good talent Cowboys team. And in part because Mike McCarthy took over play calling duties and is leading one of the best, if not the best offensive unit in the national football league. But I think there is a coach that we have to talk about where if this is a shootout, the Packers get 28 or even 30 points on the board, but it's not enough. Packers lose a game, you know, 28-31. They lose a game 30-33. Is that enough? Is that enough to end the Joe Barry conversation? Because if your first-year starter gives you a chance to win on the road in the NFL playoffs, is a touchdown underdog, and the defense doesn't hold up its end of the bargain, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but let, let's talk about that first year starter. Because when I was thinking about this game, I, I'm thinking back to the the great drives that have ended Dallas Cowboys seasons in the past in AT&C Stadium, no less. By the Green Bay Packers, of course, who are undefeated in AT&T Stadium all the time. Um, and it got me thinking. 
about Jordan Love and game-winning drives because you can you can think about Jordan Love at the beginning of the season and him having the ball in his hands is an opportunity to end the game. And if you just go through the season, you, you get a really up-and-down picture of, of what his performance looks like because that, that second first-week game, of course, Packers blow out Chicago. Week two at Atlanta, Packers offense couldn't move the ball in the fourth quarter. Okay. Following week against New Orleans, Packers got to go ahead touchdown with 256 remaining on the clock. Okay. It's good. It's a lot of time left to call it a you know a game-winning drive, but technically it was a game-winning drive. At Las Vegas, Jordan Love throws an interception in the end zone to end it. Then the game. Following week at Denver. Jordan Love throws an interception late in the fourth quarter with under two minutes to go. And the Broncos shoot the clock away. Okay. At Pittsburgh, opportunity for a game-winning drive. Jordan Love throws picks in the last two, on the last two drives, and was picked off in the end zone to end it. Against the Chargers, Jordan Love throws a touchdown with 233 left to go to go ahead. But they got the ball back again and went three and out when the Packers had a chance to salt the game away. Run run the clock out. Okay, you could call that a game-winning drive, I guess, but when you had an opportunity to to win it at the end by just getting a first down, you can't do that. It doesn't feel like one. Packers failed to get a game-winning drive against the New York Giants in a game the Packers played terrible in but had a chance to steal anyway. The Packers had a game-winning drive against the Panthers, but that win felt like a loss because of how bad the Panthers were and how monstrously close the defense was to just blowing it and enforcing overtime. That game was five seconds longer. That game goes to overtime. So if we just choose not to count the Panthers game, Jordan Love kind of has two game-winning drives under his belt. Uh, drive against, touchdown drive against New Orleans and against the Chargers. Both of those touchdowns came with under three minutes, but well over two minutes to go on the clock. So if we choose to buy into me qualifying all of these, you know, for the vibes. Or you choose not to. Packers don't really have a game-winning drive, except for the Panthers game. Since this team has really, really turned it around and turned it on, since Jordan Love has really solidified his place as the franchise quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, what if they get one here? in a high-scoring game where it just, just might come down to who has the ball last. And Jordan Love goes and gets a game-winning drive in the building that birthed the they-celebrating-with-113-left-in-the-fourth meme. The vibes. The vibes. The vibes would be immaculate. Bad vibes. Bad vibes. Anders Carlson. I'm really hoping I can kick the uh, never wrong just early thing that I had going a little bit <laughs> for him, but Packers have the third worst extra point conversion rate this season in the National Football League. And for a little while, he had by far the worst in the league. We talked about this game as a shootout in a game where you might need all the points, all of them. You can't be missing extra points. Lights are on. Things are bright. And what if Jordan Love orchestrates what looks like a game-winning drive where Anders Carlson has a chance to make a walk-off field goal? And you miss? Uh, 
you just hate to see it. You just hate to see it. All right. Finally, finally, last vibes take, last storyline vibes take that is maybe looking too far ahead. Um, RJ Achoa of Blogging the Boys, uh, SB Nation's Cowboy site, said on a podcast this week, imagine this scenario for the Green Bay Packers. For the Packers, win it, AT&T Stadium. Of course, then they'd have to go play in Santa Clara against the 49ers next week. If they were to win that game, and you get the other division winner, the Detroit Lions at Ford Field. What are those vibes like? Win at AT&T. You, you confirm, although, you know, Cowboys, Packers, you know, that rivalry waxes and wanes, but it's it's a rivalry that has felt like the Packers have had the Cowboys number in all the big moments, in all the big moments for so long. And if George Love and Matt LaFleur can keep that going in that building that the Packers have never lost in and then can go to Santa Clara and knock off the boogeyman that the Packers can't beat, couldn't beat, and then you go to the NFC Championship game and knock off the, oh, we love you so much, fan-darling Detroit Lions for finally being good, hanging division championship banners for whatever whatever those are. And you can knock them off and show the whole NFC North Packers never left. The vibes, the vibes would be so good. They'd be so good. Uh, Trying to not say the vibes would be immaculate again, but the vibes would be immaculate. Uh, Okay. That is going to do it for today's episode of the Scotty six pack podcast. Thank you for listening on your podcast platform of choice or on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the subscribe button, hit the like button. You can watch us there at youtube.com slash Scotty six pack. Leave some kind words and a comment for the people helps other people find the show. If you're listening on your podcast platform, leave us some five stars, kind review with some nice words coming up next week. We're going to break down this game a little bit. Talk about, try to find some time to talk about that. Um, Badgers win over Northwestern talk about the Badgers as they face Penn State next week. And that show will probably come first on Tuesday uh, because I have a little bit of travel plans situation going on. I have to go catch a flight in to leave in about 90 minutes. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Scotty Six Pack. Go Pack Go Pack.